Good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm impressed to see everybody out tonight with eight degree weather on the way. Um, I think it's awesome to see such a good crowd on a first Wednesday. Um, whenever a lot of churches actually uh, canceled services because it was so, so cold tonight, uh, you guys are willing to come out, and I think that's an awesome thing. Um, tonight we will be in Psalm chapter one, and um, as a kid, and still to this day, I have had a favorite type of tree that I have always loved. I think they're beautiful. I love to see them. Um, they remind me of just vitality and luscious sort of uh, uh, just life is what it makes me think of. Even though this tree is typically used in literature and other things uh, as a symbol of sorrow, I don't see it that way, and it's the weeping willow. I've always thought that this is a fantastic tree. It's just beautiful. And there's some interesting things about the weeping willow. Uh, the weeping willow is known for its, ra I would say, ravenous appetite for water. It, it seeks it out. It loves it. Its appetite for water is so strong that its roots are actually larger than its trunk. It hunts for water. Its roots are... Uh, designed, specified, specialized to look for water. So much so that if you are one of the unlucky people who have any of these growing near one of your water lines or your sewer line or something like that, its roots will find those lines, it'll dig into them and run up them. And then you've got a major problem because you've got roots in your sewer line. Uh, it loves water, it looks for it, hunts it out. It's sturdy because of these roots. It's strong, its roots go deep. They're powerful. It's hard to blow a weeping willow or another type of willow tree down. They're so strong, the roots are so uh, powerful and entangled that people will often plant them beside uh, rivers and streams that tend to flood because the roots themselves will entangle along the banks of the stream and prevent that, even in, in the harshest of floods, pre prevent that from eroding away. People will plant them in floodplains because of their appetite for water, it will help the floodwaters to recede when a weeping willow sits in the floodplain because it will soak up so much of that water. So because of this, it's a strong, it's a durable plant, but it's also a very fruitful plant. It doesn't produce apples or anything like that. But if a storm comes to the willow and it blows branches off of it, it's not going to blow the tree down, but it might break some branches those branches or those limbs are often known to actually sprout roots where they land and create another tree. It's a fruitful tree. It is built to thrive. That's what it does. It's good at that. It's said, and this may be legendary, but it's an example of, of just this type of vitality that the poet Alexander Pope in England, it's said that he uh, requested a twig of a willow tree that was sent from Spain. And he took that twig and he planted it and from that one twig all of the willow trees of England now descend. It is a fruitful tree. I bring this to your attention tonight because while it wasn't the weeping willow necessarily, we don't know what he had in mind, it's this type of image that we see in Psalm chapter 1. Whenever the author says this, 
How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted beside streams of water, which bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. So I ask you this question tonight. We've come to the end of a year. We start a new year. 2015. You look at yourself, 2014. Are you like the weeping willow? Do your roots go deep? Is your life characterized at this point by stability? Are you grounded? Are you thriving? Are you fruitful? You're designed to be. And this passage shows us exactly how you can be. How you can be the type of person, the type of Christian that is tree-like. And it's my heart, my hope that for me and for you that all of us find that 2015, we increasingly grow in this very way. We become like the tree planted beside streams of water. So that when the winds of opposition blow against us, or the winds of, or the heat, you might say, of temptation bears down upon us. And though we might have leaves fall at times, and though we might have branches hit the ground, when those branches hit the ground, they sprout forth new life. We're that type of a person. That's the type of person that God desires for us to be and lays out for us in this passage. And so how do we do that? There's two things that this passage lays out for us. We need to have roots that turn away from drought and roots that turn towards water. We need to have roots that turn away from drought, drought living, drought thinking, and roots that turn toward water where we get freshness and life and strength and vitality. So what is this drought living that I'm talking about? Well, it's what we see here in the first verse. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. It's the mentality of the wicked person. It's the drought type of life, the drought type of thinking. In this passage, we see a progression that we all experience at times in our lives. Walk, stand, sit. You walk in the counsel of the wicked. That is that you listen to, pay attention to the words of the world around you that are trying to steer you aside. And then, having listened to them, you begin to identify with them. You stand in the path of sinners. And having stood and identified with them for a period of time, you then begin to sit in the seat of the scoffers. You're no longer simply listening. You're no longer simply standing. You are now participating in the actions of wickedness. We've all done this. We have all been there. And it's drought thinking. It's drought living. 
that will leave us dead and lifeless. There's a variety of ways in which this plays out in our lives, and I'll give some examples. You might think that you go to work tomorrow, and this has been a habit. You've done this for a long time, and on your lunch break, you have tended to sit down with the same people every time. And those people often share stories of their exploits on the weekend, their drinking or their carousing or whatever, and you find yourself increasingly growing interested in the tales that they have to tell you. You find yourself looking forward to finding out what it was that went on last weekend, and you find yourself imagining what it might be like to actually participate in some of that activity. You're walking in the counsel of the wicked. You're beginning to pay attention. You're beginning to listen. You're beginning to desire. But then you find yourself, because they've invited you over and over again, Hannah, why aren't you coming out and hanging out with us this weekend? I mean, the whole volleyball team is going to this party. Why aren't you going with us? And then you finally, yeah, sure. All right, I'll go with you guys this time. And you begin hanging out with them at these parties. You begin going to the, uh, to the, to the bars with them or, or, or whatever it is. You begin doing these things. You're not participating, but you're just beginning to hang out with them. You're beginning to stand in the path of sinners. But then the progression carries on. The slippery slope slides you down further into the descent of the wicked and the drought-like way whenever you finally, after all of this influence, begin to participate. No longer are you listening to them merely. No longer are you just simply going to the party. But now you are beginning to drink with them, get drunk with them, run around with them, and do all of the things that used to you wouldn't do. That is drought living. Walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. That's an extreme example. I'm going to assume that for most of our cases, while that may have been something we've done in the past, for most of our cases, that's not going to be what we deal with. What we deal with tends to be on a more subtle level. I'll give an example here that is increasingly becoming an issue that we face. And... Uh, I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want you to hear in this any sort of legalistic thing that says that you can't participate in this activity, but it's the trajectory of thinking that gets us in this direction. And it is this. We live in a technology-saturated culture. So how does this play out with this sort of a situation? Walking in the counsel of the wicked. All right? Now hang with me here. Apple comes out each year with their brand new products. They're going to be coming out with the iPhone 7 next or whatever it's going to be. And you are the type of person who longs to hear about this. You can't wait. You're all about it. And, and you just listen. You listen, you listen, you listen. You can't wait to hear about the brand new technology that's coming out. You eat it up. You study it. You find out about the PS5 that's coming out, the Xbox 9000, the whatever else is coming out. And you're all about listening to these things. For you, that could very easily be walking in the counsel of the wicked. Why? Because these people are sending you a message, and we all receive this message from our culture. You need these items. You need this next best thing to give you that stability, that fruitfulness, that thriving, that life that you hunger and desire. And so you listen and you fantasize about, man, if I only had $500, I could get the next PS19 or whatever it is that's coming out. And so you listen to this counsel that says you need this. 
stand in the path of sinners, you then begin to go and buy the product. It's not wrong to have this product necessarily, but you begin to, to, to invest in it. You identify with it. Sit in the seat of scoffers. Your life becomes consumed with this item. You spend countless hours in front of a television playing Call of Duty. You spend countless hours flipping your phone up to the next Facebook post. You spend countless hours scrolling your finger to the side, or this way, to get the angry bird to hit the thing. You spend countless hours on Twitter. You spend countless hours, whatever it is that you're doing, on the television. And it becomes for you an alternative to the water that God has supplied for you. Those are just two examples. You could name countless others. But this is, brothers and sisters, buying in to a philosophy of our world around us that says that life lies in this thing or this activity. And it is lies, it is wickedness, and it is drought, and it will leave you empty. The weeping willow, the tree planted beside streams of water, turns its roots away from this type of thinking and turns it towards the water. This type of thinking, as this passage lays out for us, ends in destruction. If you carry it to its most ultimate step, it ends in your perishing, both in this life now, because your life begins to dwindle and dry up, and if this, is, if this defines your life in the next life, You'll perish at the judgment. It's interesting to me that this psalm, most people think, is based off of Jeremiah chapter 17. And I want you to hear this. Listen to the similarities. Verse 5, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an, an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves re remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The interesting thing here is that the image is the same for the blessed, righteous person. It's a strong tree beside fresh water. But the image changes when it comes to the cursed, the wicked person. In Jeremiah, it's like a shrub in a dry land. It's drying up. But the psalmist does not use that picture. Why? It's as if the psalmist read Jeremiah 17 and said, that's right, that's true, but that's not quite highlighting the depth of disparity that comes whenever you live in drought thinking. No, you're not like a shrub necessarily in the desert that's drying up. You're not even like a plant at all. You are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Now, what is chaff? We don't really entertain that thought. We don't experience that type of an agricultural society, but everybody in that time would have known exactly what it was. Chaff was whenever they would harvest the grain, they would take the grain and they would place it in a plate and they would sit on the threshing floors. 
And they would take the grain and they would toss it up in the air over and over and over. Let the grain fly up in the air, fall back down into the pan over and over. And as the wind came across what they were tossing in the air, all of the dust, all of the little leaves, all the little particles, the chaff would blow away with the wind and the grain would be what was left. That's what we end up being if this is the type of life that we live. If these are the things that we tie ourselves into, we are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And the utter end of that is doom, perishing. We are not designed to be like this as Christians. This is what we are naturally. We are naturally bent to go after these things. We are naturally, because of our sinful nature, have roots that go after the drought thinking. Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. This is what you are in and of yourself. But the awesome promise of this passage is this. When it says in verse 3 that the righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water, this word planted is a very interesting word in the Hebrew. Its literal translation is not planted. It's transplanted. The idea is that you once were in the drought lands, living the drought life, and God uprooted you and brought you over and transplanted you next to a stream so that your roots would tie in to the life-giving waters of that stream. That's what you as a Christian are designed to experience, that water. So what is that water? It's the very living word of God that we have before us. He who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates in it day and night will be like the tree firmly planted beside streams of water. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been given a new ability. A new, you have been given new taste buds to long for and delight in the sweet word of God. In Psalm chapter 19, his description of the Bible, his description of the word of God is as if it is like the drippings of the honeycomb and like the gold that you hunt for and that you mine after. That's his description of it. And that's what the word of God is to us who have the spirit of God within us, who teaches us it. And I wonder for you, is that how you treat the Bible? Do you believe it to be as sweet and life-giving as that? Because there's a story that I heard about Bart Ehrman who teaches at UNC Chapel Hill. Bart Ehrman is a New Testament professor and he is an agnostic. And his goal with his freshman classes that comes in is to uh, convince them of the unreliability of the scriptures and to turn their hearts away from the faith of Christianity. That is his expressed goal. And so when his freshmen come in, the very first class, he'll ask them this series of questions. He'll hold up a Bible, and he'll say, how many of you believe this to be the Word of God? And nearly everyone in the class will raise their hands. He'll say, okay. How many of you believe this to be the inerrant Word of God? Few hands will fall down, but still many still stand. Majority of the classroom's hands are in the air. All right. How many of you have trusted in the Jesus of this Bible as your Lord and Savior? Some hands might fall, and still there's many that stand. Okay. 
How many of you have read this entire book? And he says that year after year after year, and I could do this in here as well, all, if not all, almost all of the hands fall back to the ground. And then this agnostic, angry professor looks at them and says, are you telling me that you believe the creator of the universe revealed his mind to you and put it in a book and you have not taken the time to read it? What does that say about what you believe? I'll tell you what it says about what we believe. It tells us that we don't believe that it's the word of God, that it is what he says it is. We might think it, we might know it with our minds, but with our lives. We're going after the way of the world. We're tying our time up with all of the things that are distractions. And as a consequence, we sit in the seat of the scoffers by our very life. We mock the God who has given us his very mind in this word. We are saying to him, it is not worth 20 minutes a day for me to read this. And I know what we're saying. I'm busy. I don't like to read. It's a struggle, let alone to read it, but to delight in it. I don't even understand it. It's a difficult book. I get bored when I'm reading it. To which I say, there is nothing in this life, not a thing in this life that you delight in that does not take significant effort. Anything that you delight in takes effort, takes work. And I'll give you an example. That could get me excommunicated from this church. I hate basketball. And I live in a county and in a state that thinks basketball is the next thing to, I don't know, heaven. And uh, a county that thinks that the sky is Carolina blue because God's a Tar Heels fan. And I couldn't care less. In the 30 years that I've lived on planet Earth, I've not lived on another planet other than Earth. <laughs> In these 30 years, I have never once watched an entire basketball game. I've watched peewee basketball, but I've never watched college basketball or NBA because I think it's boring. I just don't like it. I just don't get it. But you know why I don't like it and why I don't get it? Because I don't understand it. I mean, I understand that the red ball goes in the hoop and that's a point, I think. <laughs> but I've not given it the effort, I've not given it the time, I've not even watched a game. But I know that because millions of people love basketball, that there's gotta be some worth to this and if I gave it the effort, I would begin to like it and perhaps love it and delight in basketball. If you are a basketball fan, you have put forth the effort to watch games. You at one point had to take the time to understand what these guys on the court are doing to push people or blocks. I don't know what they're doing. I can't even begin to explain it to you, but you understand it. I get bored out of my mind. You understand it because you put the effort forward into understanding it so that it is a thrill for you to watch basketball. I know that this is the case because I once felt the same way about football. 
But then somebody sat down and they explained to me, this is what's going on, that's the quarterback, and this is that guy, and I still don't know all the names of the players on football either, but I know what they're doing when they're doing it, and this is what a touchdown is, and this is what a field goal is, to the point now where I watch football, I actually really get into football and get excited, even though I don't care which team's which, I'm just kind of pulling for the team that has the ball, and uh, I enjoy it. I like watching football. I can sit and watch an entire football game because I have now put forth that effort into football. The Word of God is the same. If you put forth effort in these things, you will learn to delight in them. If you rake, you get leaves. If you mine, you get gold and you get diamonds. I promise you, the Word of God is a deep ocean of wealth. That if you give it the effort, if you give it the simple effort of reading it, of trying to understand it, of applying it, of disciplining yourself to actually spend time in it. You say you don't like to read or you don't know how to read. That's fine. We live in a world now where you can simply listen to it on your iPhone or CD player or cassette tape player or 8-track player or record player or whatever it is that you have. You can listen to someone, read the Bible, and you can get it into your heart that way. It is worth that effort. You have the Spirit of God who dwells inside of you, who when you read the Word of God, is speaking directly from the Creator into your life in ways that are, that are mysterious and supernatural and pinpoints specific issues, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of sword and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what it is. And if you give yourself to it, even a small portion of your time at this, at the beginning point, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is, it will reap wonderful rewards. But not only read it, Not only read it, he goes on to say, meditate on it. What does it mean to meditate on it? I think the idea here is really well illustrated by the cow chewing its cud. The idea with this, a cow goes and grazes in the pasture and it eats grass and then it swallows the grass and it digests it in one of its stomachs and nasty as it sounds, regurgitates it back into its mouth chews it some more, swallows it into its next stomach, regurgitates it again, chews it some more, swallows it into its... I don't know how many stomachs a cow has, but it does it till it's gone through all of them. And by so doing, it extracts from that grass every ounce of nutrition that it has to offer. It is the same thing with the Word of God. You don't just read it but you think on it. Is it carrying around with you a little index card that you pull out at your break time and you just read Romans chapter 6 where it says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you shall not be under law, but under grace. And you read it 
at your break time. You read it at your lunch time. You read it at your afternoon break time. And you read it before you get in your car on your way home. And you put it in front of your speedometer so that you can look down at it as you're driving home. So that Romans chapter 6 then becomes something that you meditate, think on, and becomes to flavor your life and change your behavior as a result of it. And identify certain aspects of your life that you've not even begun to think about because the Spirit of God, as Josh said earlier, is shining his flashlight into the dark recesses of your heart. That's what we need the Word of God for. And the person who is like the tree that is tied down deep into the earth, strong, unmovable, no matter what opposition blows against it, who is fruitful, no matter what happens to its branches as they fall off, it bears fruit. That type of person is a person whose life is flavored, absolutely overcome by the Word of God. You sing it, you think about it, and you memorize it. You memorize the scriptures. And I challenge you to begin to try to memorize the scriptures. It is not as hard as a lot of people make it out to be. And here is the obvious example of that. Every person in this room probably knows by heart, at the very least, I'll bet 30 songs. And that's probably a very modest uh, estimate. You have memorized every word, which amounts to probably paragraphs and pages of lyrics. You've memorized that. You have this capacity to take words and bury them in your heart. Why not do it with the scriptures? Why not give yourself just that little bit of extra effort that memorizes one verse in a month So that at the end of a year, you have 12 verses of Scripture memorized, which can be an entire chapter of the Bible. You will not, I quoted Psalm 1 to you earlier because I wanted you to see the power of the memorized word. I memorized Psalm chapter 1 probably 10 years ago. And since that time, Psalm 1 has been on my tongue, in my prayer life, no less than once a week. I am constantly walking in my house or back here or knelt down at my couch and saying, how blessed is the man. I want to be like the tree planted beside streams of water and crying out to God and letting this passage fuel my spiritual life. Because I know that the word of God is that spiritual life. It is that water that gives me the strength to tie down deep into the the earth And to have roots that are strong and hopefully by God's grace be the type of person who is not swayed by the world around me, but who bears fruit in the lives of other people. That's what God has for us in his word. My hope, my prayer is that 2015 for this 130 people in this room, not to mention the 700 who are not here, that 2015 becomes a word where the word of God becomes for you more than something that you simply have to go to. But it becomes for you something that is sweet, something that is precious, something you miss when you do not have it, something you long for, something you schedule, something you are willing to forsake eating breakfast for. If it's breakfast or the Bible, I'll choose the Bible. That's my heart, is that that be us in 2015. And that we find that we are a mighty forest of Christians in McDowell County who is bearing fruit like that twig did for Alexander Pope that we will see that little twigs are being planted all throughout McDowell County because we are a people who are planted beside streams of water. 
bearing fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and in whatever we do, we prosper. That's my heart for us. A couple of ways, a few ways in which you can practically apply this. One, if you are not the person, a type of person right now, who schedules time to be in the Word, starting tomorrow, and we'll have out here in the foyer, ways in which you can become a little bit, this, just put little stones in your path to help you do this a little bit more easily. Starting tomorrow, give yourself five minutes, just five minutes. Open your Bible, begin in Matthew or John or somewhere in the New Testament, and just begin to read. If you've done that much, begin to meditate, carrying around little cards with you during the day. If you can give yourself to the third level, try to memorize. Put it to a rhythm of a song like My Girl, something like that. Just plug in the words of the Bible and begin to sing them to yourself throughout the day. And be surprised, I've done it myself, how much you can memorize by putting it to lyric form. Also, beginning this Sunday night, we will have our Sunday night Bible study starting up. We will have um, uh, one on the life of David, an excellent way for you to get deeper into the Word of God in ways in which you haven't. That's a men's study that will meet at PG Baptist. We'll have a women's study on the Sermon on the Mount. Go to that if you've not ever entertained the Sermon on the Mount and really studied it. Go to that. It's at PG Baptist also for women. Be led by Jane Googe. We'll also have a class that deals with the biblical foundations for finances and how to, uh, how to live out biblically in your, in your life with money and to be debt-free, hopefully, which is what God desires for us. Financial Peace University meets over in the church house. All of this is at 515. There's also one other option, which is a particularly good option for you to turn your roots away from drought and turn them towards streams of water. It's called the Truth Project. The Truth Project meets at uh, St. Mark's Methodist Church at 515 also. It's led by Bill Rockliffe. 